Well, I want to talk to you today about unique callings. I, I have a friend, Mark, and Mark is a, is a guy in the church that I served in for so long, and Mark has had a unique calling since 35 years ago, and it was to teach uh, fifth and sixth grade boys to become men of God. <laughs> That's his calling, and he's done it faithfully all those years. Oh, oh he's, also, he's also a husband and a, a father and a grandfather and a successful businessman, but those are callings that are given to many men. A unique calling is different than that. Mark's purpose is to raise up boys, fifth and sixth graders in particular, to be men of God. That's unique. Our daughter Amy uh, heard God's voice uh, back when she was 12 years old uh, to rescue babies being led away to death. Now, She's also a wife, mom, and those are callings, to be sure. But this other one is something different than that because many women can be called to be a wife and a mother. But Amy has a unique calling for these babies and their moms and the dads as well whenever she can. And she has led a pregnancy center ministry in our area for the last 30 years. That's, that's what I mean by a unique calling. And she has that. My wife, Ilona, has a unique calling, and that is to teach children about the Lord Jesus. She's been doing that more years than I want to mention or she wants me to mention, and in fact, she's still doing it. That's a unique calling that came specifically to her because God crafted her, he created her to fill that calling. Unique callings. I use those words specifically because I want to talk about the callings that match the individual as God has crafted them and, and assign them to fill that spot in the role as he restores the kingdom, as he restores what he wants to do in the midst of life. God called me to be a pastor. I remember specifically when he did that. It was kind of funny to be able to look back and see it so, so clearly. We had left our jobs and moved to Massachusetts to, uh, so I could go to two-year program in seminary. I didn't know what my calling was at the time, but we concluded that the best next step for us to take to prepare for whatever God wanted was for me to get an education in a seminary for two years. And that's what we were going to do. That seemed the best next step. Well, during the first year that uh, we were there, our kids got sick, uh, our, our daughter and our son. They got sick. One was in the hospital, one was at home with pneumonia. Our pastor came to visit us. And I remember to this day, his name was Bernie Hughes. And Bernie came and he, he talked with us and then he prayed with us. And then before he left, he gave us $10. Now that may not seem like a lot, but we were seminary students. We, we were chur poor as church mice. So that was an awful lot. The package of what he did, including that $10 bill, woke something in my mind, in my heart. It spurred something in my mind, in my heart. And I was able to say to God, Lord, that's what I want to do. That's what you've created me to do. I want to do what he's doing, what he does on a daily basis. Well, next thing was to talk to Ilona and get her agreement on that, and she was immediately in agreement with me. Next day, I went to school, and I changed to the three-year program for pastoral ministry. That, my friends, was 1972. <laughs> 1972. We would not change that decision for anything. That was my unique calling, and likewise hers to be my wife in the midst of that. Unique callings. What's yours? Do you know? Have you ever found out? Unique calling. Wouldn't you want to know if God crafted you for something specific? 
Wouldn't you want to know what that is? Now, I've come to believe that there are such a thing as a unique calling of floaters. I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, but floaters, what I mean by that is they're like a GP in the medical field. They treat a lot of things. They do a lot of things. And they're the kind of people that you're so dependent on to, to step up when something needs to be done in the local church. I've, I've built my ministry on floaters, so I have great respect for them. But there are also people who are called to be specialists, as likewise in the medical field. And I ask, is that you? Do you know? If you know, if you have some idea, what are you doing with that? And wouldn't you like to know if you don't? And how do you find out? Those are good questions to ask as we come in our study of the book of Acts to chapter 13 and 14. Because here we find Barnabas and Paul answering their unique callings and theirs was to be missionaries, to go out and share the good news in places where it hadn't been shared before. They go from their home base in Antioch of Syria, just north of Israel, to Cyprus, an island in the midst of the Mediterranean Sea. And then they go from there to the lower part of Asia Minor, which was called Turkey as we know it, but was a Roman area. It was the lower part of Asia Minor. They go there. And then finally, after going through those different towns and cities, they return back to Antioch of Syria to report what God has done. It's a fascinating journey in chapter 13 and 14, so I, I'd like to use that as a kind of a template for us as we seek to understand and hear God's voice concerning his unique calling for each of us. I do that because this is extremely important, this unique calling. It is the foundation for ministry. <laughs> I just can't stress that enough. It is so important that I find out what God has shaped me for before I launch off to do something, though it might be a good something, I'd better find out what God has shaped me for and created me for. So I go to Acts chapter 12 because it's in the end of chapter 12 that this episode begins. Verse 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Look at the context of their calling. It came as they worshiped, in community, on the way. It was as they were worshiping and fasting, worshiping the Lord and fasting with brothers and sisters in Antioch at the church, living for the Lord day by day that they received their calling. Let's look more closely at those details. Their calling came as they worshiped. They were in a place of submission to the Lordship of Christ. They were bowing before him. They were seeking him. They were ready to hear his voice. So when he spoke, they were ready and waiting to hear what he had to say. Likewise, they were in community. They were in a place of submission with others. They were not lone rangers. They listened to the Lord. They listened to each other. 
They could affirm or question what each one of them seemed to be hearing from the Lord. They were accountable to each other. That's in community. And then finally, they were on the way. They were not sitting back and waiting for God to do something as they sat in their easy chair and waited. No, they were serving. They were involved. They were living the life. They were, they, they were serving. They were on the road. And God says, turn this way now. And that's when they hear his voice. And so they turn that way and go. I, I learned to drive in the days of no power steering. Now, I know that must make me as old as dirt. I, I get that. But, but that's the way it was at the time. Maybe some cars had it. Our cars didn't. But I remember Mr. Thompson, our teacher, telling us something that I've held on to each to until this day. He said, when you come to a stop, turn the wheels in the direction that you're going to go next. Why? Well, because it's easier to turn the wheels when the car is moving than it is when it's standing still. These folks were moving. They were not standing still. Why is that important? Well, it's important because it's easier to hear the voice of God as you worship in community on the way. I have a friend who's uh, <laughs> waiting to hear the call of God for some new and exciting path for him in ministry. I don't think it's going to happen, and I've told him that. And I don't think it's going to happen because he's not connected with a worshiping community. He's not serving and I ask you, why would God give him this vision of what he can do next when he's not doing anything now in terms of calling? This community that we find here in the book of Acts chapter 13 and 14, they laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas. They partnered with them. They sent them off. And they, Paul and Barnabas, they return to the same community at the end of their journey and report on what God has done. That's what I'm talking about. So not only is it easier to hear your unique calling in that setting, it's better. It's better to hear the calling as you worship in community on the way. Why? Well, because you're more likely to stick with it. Unique callings are hard. If you read chapter 13 and 14, you can see it's hard. If you've been in your unique calling for a time, it's hard. It's not easy. So what I say to you this morning is, Grow deep in the Lord, in community, with others who know you, others who can have input to your life, others who are following the Lord, others who are walking with God, others who are submitted to him, serving him. You'll hear God's voice. You really will. Your unique calling is waiting for you. Go for it. So Paul and Barnabas get that calling. They set out by ship to Cyprus in the middle of the Mediterranean, and God's power is evident. The truth is evident to so many people. Even a Roman official turns to Christ. After that, they go next to that southern part of what we now call Turkey, where they proclaim the good news, and many believe. It's it here that the Jews so vehemently oppose what the Apostle Paul has to say that they, as it says in the New Testament, turn to the Gentiles, and that's what he says to them. Opposition continues, but as it says in Scripture, the word of the Lord spreads through the whole region. Hmm. So much so that Paul and Barnabas are confronted with pride, the number one threat to ministry. That's what it is the number one threat to ministry, and it comes in verse 14. Go with me to verse 8. 
In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up to your feet. At that the man jumped up and began to walk. And here it comes, the praise of people. That's right. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in a Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The praise of people. Now it's not normally as extreme as this, but it's just as dangerous however it comes. Why? Because we want to believe it. We we want to believe it. We always want it. In fact, you would think that people who get a lot of praise wouldn't want any more. They've got their cup filled. No, don't you believe that? They want more. In fact, they come to expect it because they've received it before. What do Paul and Barnabas do with it? They reject it. We want nothing to do with this. Go with me to verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. Not very subtle, are they? No, not very subtle. There's no quiet discussion and reasoning about this thing. There's no saying, Oh, shucks, it's no big deal. No. They tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, We are just human like you. And they did that because they They saw the lie. They they saw the lie. Paul later writes in Romans 12, think of yourself with sober judgment. Too high a place and we take God's place. Too high an estimate of ourselves, we take God's place. We take credit for what he has done through us. Too low and we ignore God's grace. Either way, either way, when we demean what he has done in us and through us, either way, we offend God and we point people to a dead end. That's not the answer for them. I know of what I talk, believe me. I know what it's like. I've done both. Too high, looking at myself. Too low, looking at myself. Because it's hard. I was talking to some younger pastors the other day and we were talking about this issue of pride and how, how much it overtakes you and how difficult it is to stay balanced on this thing. Thinking of yourself with sober judgment because the appearance of humility can easily be a cover-up for thinking too much or too little of ourselves. And likewise, the subtlety of pride is so great that we often don't see it except in the rearview mirror. I remember a time of rapid growth in our church. <coughs> I didn't say this, but I thought it. We've got this figured out. Yeah, I'm embarrassed to tell you that. But I didn't see it at the time. I saw it in retrospect as I looked back. It's that subtle. Pride, the number one threat to your ministry calling. We see it here. It's rejected. But finally, when we go through this chapter 13 and 14, we find faithfulness, the measure of ministry. I'm in chapter 14, verse 26. From Attila, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. 
On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there for a long time with the disciples. The measure of ministry is not a numbers game. Hear that well, because numbers are so enticing and they're so important in our minds. The measure of ministry is not a numbers game. Do numbers matter? Well, of course they do. Numbers represent people, and God has a heart for people. He wants to see them come to faith in Christ and, 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 and learn the new life that he has for them and the purpose that he has for them and the unique callings. Do numbers matter? Oh, of course they matter. Early church made note of numbers. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. Do they matter? Of course they matter. But when Jesus talks about the man who gives out, gives out money, gifts, talents to several servants, you know what the measure is when they come back to him. It's not the amount that they return to him. No, it's the faithfulness with which they did what they did, with whatever they had. It's a matter of being faithful with it, with whatever amount had been given to them. I remember a while ago, a time of rapid growth in our church, when a couple came to me and they gave me a plaque. And I placed that plaque on the shelves right across from my desk because I wanted to be reminded of that on a regular basis. That plaque said, the world crowns success. God crowns faithfulness. The world crowns success. God crowns faithfulness. It's not a numbers game, my friend. You're calling. You don't have to do it in proportions larger than everybody else. You just need to be faithful with your unique calling as you pursue it under the hand of God. And, and likewise, it's not a perfection game. I don't know if you noticed it when I read, but John Mark goes home early in the journey. Uh, they took him with him, but, but John Mark, because of homesickness, apparently goes, goes home. He doesn't stick with it. Looks like a failure to me. Looked like a failure to the Apostle Paul, without a doubt. In fact, the next time that Barnabas and Paul go out on a missionary journey, or they talk about going out, Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them. Paul says, no, he's not going with us. Oh, something happened between that and the time when the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. Because a few years later, he writes, only Luke is with me. And hear what he says. Get Mark and bring him with you. That's the same guy. That's John Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Ah, it's not perfection, friends. Paul didn't do everything right. Barnabas didn't do everything right. John Mark didn't do everything right. Paul had his quirks. In fact, I think he must have been a tough guy to work with. I think he was very difficult. I'd much rather work with Barnabas than I would with the Apostle Paul. Yeah, Paul was an unusual man. He was used by God. But not one of us is perfect. We all have our pimples and our scars. But God's not looking at that. He's looking at faithfulness. He's looking at what we do with what he's given to us and whatever calling he extends to us, whatever unique, unique calling is. He's not looking for you to be better than that guy or that woman. 
He's looking for you to be faithful for what he has given you. And believe me, he has a unique calling for you. I say that with all my heart, knowing what the New Testament says. He has a unique calling for you. Dallas Willard, great man of God, now with the Lord, puts it this way. He says, we were built to count. Got that? We were built to count. As water is made to run downhill, we are placed in a specific context to count in ways no one else does. That is our destiny. Did you get that? To count in ways no one else does. That's what I'm calling our unique calling. Yours, mine. Do you know what it is in your life? Do you know what God's assignment is for you in these days based on the unique calling that he's extended to you? Do you know the role that he's crafted you for? You may be a GP, great by me, but what are you doing with that? Or, or you might be a specialist. It doesn't matter if you're known or unknown. It doesn't matter if you are apparently successful or not. It doesn't matter if you're recognized by many people or not. God sees faithfulness or lack of faithfulness. Part of the reward of faithfulness will come in this life. And it may not come in recognition, but what it will come with is the inner certainty that you have partnered with God, that you've made a difference, that you've done what he's called you to do, and you've advanced the kingdom forward in whatever way God had appointed you to advance it. That's an inner satisfaction and then part of the reward of faithfulness will come when you stand before Jesus who with his, his hands spread out to you and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That reward I am hungry for. And I suspect you are as well. So I ask, what are you doing with your unique calling? What have you done with that? Let me ask you to Make a decision today if I can. Some of you know your unique calling. You know what God called you to do, but you've put it off. You've delayed. It's been affirmed by others, and you know it's what God created you for, but you've held back. Well, talk to God about that. Decide that you're going to press into that calling, that unique calling, in any way you possibly can. Right now, not sometime later, but right now, you're going to get your feet in the water. You're going to dip your toes into the water. You're going to move in that direction in any way that you can. Others who are listening today probably don't think that they have a unique calling. That's reserved for the superstars. Oh, no, it's not. No, don't believe that. As Dallas Willard has said, God has made you to count in ways no one else does. So I'd encourage you to go back to chapter 13 and look at what happened with Paul and Barnabas. Look at the context of their calling. Make sure that you're following that pattern and then open your ears because God wants to speak and he wants to call you to a unique calling for which he has prepared you in your DNA, in your experience of life, in your faith. Think with sober judgment, but look for that unique calling. And some of you, you know your unique calling, and you've been working at it. You've given yourself to it, and you've given yourself to it for years, and you're tired, and it's been hard. The numbers aren't there. 
The so-called success is missing. Don't quit. Trust God for the results. God's looking for faithfulness. Well, for all of us, I have a word from God. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Listen to it and see it on your screen. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the Lord, to the work of the Lord, because, why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Get hold of that unique calling. Give yourself to it in faithfulness. Trust God to make a difference through it, whatever it is, whatever appearance of success you may have, for the glory of God, for the good of other people, for the joy and satisfaction that you will know. Press on. Let me pray for you, please. Father God, thank you. (laughs) Thank you that you design us, that you make us, you form us, you shape us, and you do it for your unique purposes, and so you give us unique callings. You want to spread your kingdom, Lord, and it takes many people to do that. If you're going to do that through people, it takes many different talents and gifts and callings. Lord, I pray for my friends who are listening today or watching. I pray, God, that they might know your joy because they're pursuing what you've made them to pursue. And they're knowing satisfaction because you, Lord, are advancing your kingdom, maybe in unseen ways through that unique calling, but you're doing it because you're faithful. And you simply call us to be faithful. We bring ourselves to you, Lord, and submit ourselves to you. We pray in the matchless and precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, friend. I trust you'll have a great week pressing into this idea of unique callings and what God is calling you to do. God bless you. Bye for now.